This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Good morning, Celebration family. It's so good to see you today by video, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, actually being there with you again. I, it seems like this time of year I usually am, and of course, uh, it seems as if the Lord has pushed the giant pause button on all of our lives, uh, but at least by, by the magic of video and, and the computer technology, we can at least share this morning. Pastor Tom asked me if I would bring a message to you, and I'm always ready to do that, and in my prayers... I felt like the Lord was leading me towards something about rebuilding, and I had no idea that that had been your theme for the year. Uh, but what I have to share with you today, I feel, is something that can take us beyond the moment and look toward the future, and I think most of us need to do that. Uh, the story I have in heart today is the uh, story of Nehemiah. And uh, one of the reasons I want to share this with you is because there are principles laid down in Scripture uh, in, in terms of historical stories that usually have principled meaning to us that, that expand way beyond the moment that we read about in the Bible. Principles that God has laid down that are spiritual that apply in every generation. And the story of Nehemiah is just such a story. I've prayed for many years to be like the people of Isaacar who had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And I think the best way to do that is to take the principles of Scripture and apply them to our moment uh, that we find ourselves in because God's ways really don't change. And God's ways are what we're after. Moses, the Bible says, knew the ways of God, but the children of Israel only the acts of God. And sometimes you can misinterpret uh, when you're only seeing the acts of God. But here we see something in the, in the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Nehemiah today. And we're going to talk about this. I'm going to have to do broad brush discussion today because of time. But uh, this, this story is incredible. Nehemiah, as a person, was serving in Shushan Palace, where the people of God had been brought as hostages uh, for many years now, and many, many years have gone by. Uh, in Jerusalem, there's still a wasteland, and there are a few survivors there, and Nehemiah is serving the king. And he hears a report that talks about the devastation and talks about the distress that the people of Jerusalem are in. And it so affects him that he begins to weep. He begins to cry out to God. And it's very important, I think, that we see this man as a type and a shadow of the principles of, of how God reacts to us and what he cares about. In fact, in fact, Nehemiah's name means Yahweh comforts. He is a picture, if you will, of the comforter that Jesus said he was going to send upon his ascension to heaven. I think he's a picture of what the Holy Spirit would do in the situations of distress we may find ourselves in. And so today as I talk to you and as I mention Nehemiah, I want you to think Holy Spirit because he is moved. And the Holy Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity. He's not just a feeling. He's not just a moment. He's not just the anointing in a sense. He is the person that God sends into the midst of us to help us with our practical needs and, and the strategies going forward. So I want you to think of that every time you hear me say Nehemiah today. 
And I also want to say that God is not just concerned about the corporate welfare or the corporate rebuilding of a nation or a church or an entity. He's concerned about the personal rebuilding that happens because we all know that when we begin to be distressed, our walls are down. We're all the enemies are coming at us from different ways. And many of us feel that right now. But I want you to know that heaven is not untouched that God is moved. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities, and He has an answer for these things. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is moving, and He is bringing something to us. Now, Nehemiah, uh, to make a long story short, uh, appeared before his king, and he was distressed. It was obvious. And this was a very deadly situation because you were not allowed to come before the king and be distressed. And you could be put to death for that. It's kind of a crazy thing to think about, but that's the way it was. Um, and, and Nehemiah one day appeared and, and the king asked him, what's, what's going on? And he said, how can I not be distressed when my, when my nation, when my, when my heritage is, is basically under this kind of attack and the people are just basically destroyed and distraught? And then the king asked him what he would like to do. And he makes this pretty much outrageous request. He says, you know, I want to go and rebuild. I, I want to go and take care of the problem. And the king asked him, well, what do you require? And how much time will it be? And, and he said, well, what I really need is, is letters to pass through all the, all, the, all the governmental strongholds on the way. And secondly, I need a letter to, to, to the man that's in, in charge of your forest because I need materials to take with me. And the king granted it to him. And so Nehemiah is able to move out of that stronghold with uh, the, the prosperity and the power of that moment and bring resources to those that are in distress. Now, when God moves upon a situation, he moves upon a situation not uh, necessarily autonomously. He, he, he also employs us. Let me show you what he brought to the, to the party, if you will. Nehemiah brought components that were not available on site. The timbers had been burned. The gates had been burned. And they did not have those kind of forests available. And so what happens is he brings all those materials that are not available on site. In addition to that, he brings authoritative leadership. In addition to that, he brings vision and encouragement. These are things that the Holy Spirit is always doing. There are commodities that we don't possess ourselves, but God sends them through messengers to us. And the Holy Spirit is that messenger. He brings resources to us that belong to another kingdom, if you will. And each one of us today depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to give us insight and ability to do the things of God involved in kingdom building. And he also sends authority. When Nehemiah walked into that situation, he was there as a representative of a kingdom. A kingdom with authority, a kingdom with ability, and it was then vested in the people that he was sent to. I'll tell you something. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit more than we have ever needed it. And it's not just to feel good in church. It's to make a difference in our surroundings. In addition to that, when God comes on site, he, he intends to use that which is already there. Now, watch what I'm going uh, to say here. On site, the people saw rubble, they felt distress, and they were actually defeated people. 
Many of them all their lives had been lived under this kind of distress. And so from that end of things, from the natural situation in Jerusalem at the time, that's what they saw. But God saw something else and Nehemiah saw something else. Nehemiah saw in the rubble building materials. Nehemiah saw the chance to motivate people because their distress put them in a situation where they were willing to listen. They were not set in their ways. Yes, they, they had habits that, that talked about distress and illustrated distress, but, but they heard a voice of authoritative leadership and they became motivated almost instantaneously. And thirdly, where the, they saw distressed and basically broken people, God saw a labor force that could bring great things about. And Nehemiah talked to them as though they were that force. Now, Nehemiah's uh, first act was to move around the city at night. And he saw the, the situation. He saw how some things needed to be done different. And he began to formulate a plan in his mind how to organize and bring people to the place of being able to accomplish an amazing thing. And I'll tell you what, God sees our situation different than we do. And he's already moving around through the situations of our lives when we don't see him. He comes to assess where we're at and what needs to be done. So Nehemiah, uh, after that particular movement around the city, after that, after that tour he took around the city at night, came back to the people. And, and you can see this in chapter 2 in verse 19. The people responded to his talk and to what he was seeing and to the vision that he had. And he began to talk to them about what was possible. And they said, let us rise up and build. You know, the human spirit will respond to the Spirit of God even when he asks audacious things from us. It's amazing how God can translate a person that has no hope and has no ability into a person that sees it and then seizes it. And that's exactly what uh, the anointing on, on Nehemiah was able to accomplish in these people. But amazingly, the Bible says to us here in chapter 2 that as, as, as Nehemiah came on the scene with the resources and the soldiers he brought with him, that the, the rulers of that area who had been abusing and taking advantage of and stealing from and oppressing these people, they became very agitated because someone had come to bless and help the Jewish people. Let me just say, when the Spirit of God moves, there's always going to be an opposite reciprocal reaction in the kingdom of darkness to try and stop what God has in mind. We should never be surprised. In fact, we should be encouraged by the fact that there's a pushback. And so it was in that day. But basically what we see all through this story is there was never really a physical attack. It was always a threat. It was always an innuendo. It was always trying to promote fear and suspicion to fight God's plans. And this is something we should always bear in mind. The major battle happens in our mind because the gates of hell can never stand against God's march. I don't care what people think. The gates of hell, the powers of darkness have no authority over the kingdom of God and those that are called upon in the, in the Lord to do something. Your church, your pastor, your team were called specifically to bring light in the darkness, to show the kingdom of God in action in Zimbabwe and far beyond. 
You've been extremely successful in that. I'm so proud to be associated with any of you. I love you. And I know when I look at you that God loves you even more than I could possibly imagine, even more than Pastor Tom can possibly imagine, either, even more than any of your pastors or team. But you know, the world doesn't care. You know, the enemy hates you because he doesn't want to see anything good happen to bring kingdom activity into the darkness of the land. Nehemiah knows he's got his work cut out for him. But that's no problem. He comes with great encouragement and great tenacity. And they get busy on the wall. And in chapter 3, I, you ought to just read this sometime. This is maybe the biggest miracle of all. Because in chapter 3, 40 different groups of people put their hands to the plow. 40 different groups of people simultaneously begin to build the wall. And over and over again in this thing, you see that they built up the wall in front of their own house. And they joined that wall to the neighbor on their other side and the neighbor on this side. And, and and they begin to build and, and, and many people who had means began to do large projects, different gates and different towers. And, and pretty soon this wall began to take shape. And I'm sure they were surprised and the enemy was surprised. And they redouble their efforts to discourage and to bring hopelessness back into that situation. Because when the walls were down, they could come in and they could steal anything they wanted. They could abuse the people in any way possible. And they did so for many, many decades. But now suddenly, someone has come to change the, the, the equation and change the situation and change the paradigm that people were operating in. Suddenly, hope began to spring up and, and they began to put one stone upon another. And then, they, they, then the enemies began to just rail on them even more. But chapter 3 shows us a principle that we also see in the New Testament when Ephesians 4.16 says, The body grows by that which every joint supplies. Everybody's got a ministry. Everybody's got something to contribute. And as that begins to happen in any assembly, in any organization, you get all the talents focused on one thing. As, as a church here in Springfield, Hope is, has, has had an experience that I haven't seen too many other places, but it's been so beautiful to watch. At one point in time, we, we literally achieved 75% participation in, in ministry of our congregation. We're a church of a good size. And we're talking about literally hundreds of people that began to put their hand to the plow. And it's amazing how it works. When people begin to participate and do what they can do and accomplish what they can accomplish, it is amazing how their own lives change and how they become one corporate body, how they begin to take pride in what's going on, how they problem solve automatically. They don't become the problem. They solve problems. And they grow. And they bear fruit. And it's such an exciting thing. What unity happens when you're all focused on the same thing? It's amazing, folks, what can happen when we have less critics and more construction. It's, it's just awesome. And this is what happened. In chapter 4, we, we see this. Listen to this. It says, so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. He was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. He spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in one day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Listen to this. Talking smack, but he's not talking smack to the people of God. He's talking to all his friends. 
He makes statements here. And all the statements that he makes, the Jews actually end up doing. Now, the last one is very interesting to me. Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? You see, the rubbish here literally became the resource. They didn't have to go to a quarry and, and, and bring new stones. But, but the problem was this. The, the original walls were beautiful and, and massive, and they were built from quarried limestone. And the problem is when the fires destroyed the city, the fire cracks the limestone. And so these pieces were shattered into irregular pieces, and they were laying everywhere. They were piled up. They'd been there for years and years and years and years. Ezra had come back 25 years ago and restored the temple. In fact, they were worshiping in the temple, but they had no walls. Personally, some of us know what that's like. We've been a Christian for a long, long time, but it seems like the same enemies keep coming over our walls. There's rubble. There's reminder. There's what we could have been or what we used to be. But, and, and, the, and the enemy, Sanballat here, and all of, his, all of his friends were talking about it. They're not going to, they don't have any big stones. Well, I was in Jerusalem some years ago, and I happened to find myself standing on a promontory area where I could look down, and right there below me was a section of the wall, uh, an old wall, and, and, and I said, what is that? And, and my, my host said, that's part of Nehemiah's wall. It's eight foot thick, but it was made up of pieces of irregular stone that were placed in such a way that they interlocked and they, they created walls out of these burnt stones. You know, folks, a lot of us, a lot of us have experienced breaking. A lot of us know what it's like to not be what we used to be or what we thought we were. Our lives have crumbled in some ways. And what I want to say to you is that these burnt stones that were placed back in the wall were like a testimony to the world. It says, you know, you can knock me down, but you can't take me out. I'm back. I'm back. And I'm joined with others like myself. We have a story to tell. We're, we serve a God of the second chance. We, we serve one who can take a burned out piece of uh, stone that's no longer looking like anything you'd want to use. And he can find a place for us. And he can put us in a place. And he can begin to restore the sanctity of a sacred space. He can begin to put us as, together as a people again. He can protect us. You know, one standing next to another is, is protection. And we see that in this, in this beautiful picture here. And I, I want to tell you today, you may feel like you are lost. You may feel like you've been thrown down. Your, the, the brush has covered you over. But God says, I, I want that stone. I want that person. I want to place them back in prominence. I want to use them in my house. Nobody is beyond the reach of God to restore. And this picture tells this story beautifully. We don't have any cut stones here. We don't have any perfect stones here. We have every piece of, of, of basic rubble that the world can't respect or won't. And God puts us together in a beautiful, powerful picture. I just love this part of it. You know, the enemy wants to mock you. The enemy wants to tell you, you don't matter. You can never be solid. You can never be strong. Your best days are behind you. It's amazing to me how God loves to just throw it back in their face. Look what Nehemiah does. 
Verse 4, he says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach upon their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. <laughs> Nehemiah, uh, the picture of the Holy Spirit says, God, listen to what they're saying. And what they're saying, God, turn it back on their heads. And exactly that happened. Exactly that very thing happened. He said, do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. This is amazing. God, God is very involved in this process. He may have sent Nehemiah, but it's God that's orchestrating and empowering this entire process. It says, so we built the wall. Don't sit around. Put your prayer before the Lord and then get busy. Too many of us rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and talk about and meditate on the things that are wrong. But the purpose of God in this thing is, let me handle this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. You guys get to work. One thing heaven's not going to do is, is do your job for you. You're a participant in this thing. The wall will never be built if people sit around and only pray or only rehearse the wrongs done. But it's a temptation for all of us. It's easy to do that. And listen to verse 7. After they built, they were working on the wall in verse 6. The entire wall was joined up to half its height. 26 days, less than a month. This massive wall was rebuilt by 40 groups of people putting their resources together and giving their time and energy. In verse 7, I love this. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, the Ashadites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being rebuilt or restored. And the gaps were beginning to be closed. Don't you want the gaps in your wall closed so the enemy can't keep coming in? Man, it said they became very angry, very angry. You know something? There's an old phrase from World War II uh, when the bomber pilots were, were, were flying into Germany and France and they were bombing 24 hours a day. Uh, a statement always came out, you know you're over the target when the flak is the heaviest. You know, when you're getting close to the enemy's special moment or special place and when you're coming to change it, when you're coming to destroy the works of darkness, it's amazing how they come at you like bees, like hornets. They come at you in every way, but you know you're there. You know you've arrived. You know you're winning at that point in time. And, and it's amazing how what they did here, all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Their attack basically consisted of confusion. Now, the wall's half high. And they begin to get very angry. They say, we've got to, we've got to stop this. And they're going to bring confusion. Well, look what happens in, in the city. In uh, verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God because of them and set a watch against them day and night. You need to pray and you need to watch. And then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubble that we are not able to build the wall. Amazing. The people of God that have been doing this incredible work that have accomplished in 26 days what had not ever been accomplished since the, the devastation of Jerusalem. Now suddenly, 
because of the strategy of the enemy and, and the voices of, of family members and people that were circulating back and forth from the communities that surrounded Jerusalem where these enemies lived, suddenly have, have, have basically brought in an attitude and they've said, well, man, you, you know, there's so, much, so many piles of rock. You can't, you can't build this wall. But hey, that's me, that means that, that your building materials are right beside you. In God's economy, the rubble is the resource. So, so the piles of rubble are not your problem. Your attitude is your problem. And we see these guys beginning to, to parrot the things that the confusion agreed upon by the enemies begin to, 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 to point toward them. And verse 17, our adversary said, they will neither know or see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Notice the goal, causing the work to cease. So it was that the Jews who dwelt near them came and told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon you. He says, therefore, Here's Nehemiah. I positioned men behind the lower parts of the walls at the openings. I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of them, do not be afraid of these people. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened, verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And it's, it's, it's an incomplete sentence almost because the story's over. It's over. The enemy tried to discourage. That was his big attack. He tried to bring confusion. That was his methodology. And in the situation, the people prayed. They were reminded of God's power and God's greatness, and they returned to the work. But they returned to the work cautiously, watching, seeing where the trouble came from. They were armed in case they had to fight, but they came back and they were not distracted. They worked. The wall kept going up. And folks, in another 26 days... Another 26 days, the wall was built. Now, right before that, the enemy changed his tactics. He started to try and get into Nehemiah's head. He started to try and, and see if he could get Nehemiah to come down and meet with him in the plain of, oh, no. I love that. It's, it's kind of like prophetic, oh, no. You know, oh, no. Uh, and that's basically the way that Nehemiah treated the whole thing. He said, uh, why, why, why should I leave this great work and come down to you? You're the problem. You're the enemy. I cannot possibly expect to compromise with you. I, I, can't, I can't get an agreement with you on anything. He said, I'm not coming down to you. I take my orders from somewhere else. And I don't have orders to compromise with you. Folks. We live in a time where we're expected to be so politically correct. We're not allowed to have an opinion unless it's the opinion of our enemies in many cases. We have got to literally stand against some things. Our testimony has got to be one of righteousness and truth. We've got to stay on task. We're building a kingdom. 
We're part of God's great, great crusade to bring men and women and boys and girls to himself. And we don't have time to play political games. We don't have time to, to, to basically get along with all the people that are agitators and problem makers. We are called to build a kingdom that is in opposition to much of that. Now, are we going to rise up and, and riot and tear things up? Are we going to be the people that are a big problem in our society? No, we're people that are healers. We're people that have come to make good things happen. We're people that have come to unite people. We're people that have come to, to, to bring people into the love of God. We're going to unify around those things, not around our anger. But tell, I'm going to tell you something. God is angry. God is angry at oppressors. God is angry where there's injustice. God is angry with corruption. What he wants to bless people with is often being siphoned away by evil people for their own personal gain. God wants you and me to be a blessing in the midst of all that, to, to, to show a contrast to the world. And we don't have time to mess with, with arbitration with our enemies. We just need to get back on the wall and we need to build it and we need to begin to create a society, uh, a, holy, a holy community where people can come in out of the storm. That's always been God's plan. Verse 15 of chapter 6, we read, The wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Folks, that's less than two months. In the month of October, their wall was finished. It said all, all of our enemies heard of it. And the nations around us saw these things, and they were very disheartened in their own eyes. And they perceived that the work was done by our God. Let me tell you, God's plans are so big, so invasive, so powerful, that when we stay on task, the world will have to say, this could not have happened any other way. I just saw a report last night of what happened in St. Paul, Minnesota, where George Floyd was, was killed. On that very site, right there where they've made a memorial, thousands, thousands of believers gathered. They worshiped the Lord for hours. People were healed by the multitudes. People were saved by the dozens. And there was a worship experience that not only, it not only just stayed there, it spread around the country to different sites where there had been riots and all kind of craziness. People are gathering, black, white, all, all races. Folks, God wants to show himself strong on behalf of those that believe. I don't know of any people on the face of the planet that have gone through what you folks have gone through and continue to. All I know is this, God promised your pastor in such a way that he left everything he knew, everyone he knew, and came to Zimbabwe with a promise in his heart that although it was the last of nations, it would be the first of nations. So much has been poured into you. Your heritage is incredible, and your future is essential. What God wants to do in the land, he's got to find some, some, some people that will partner with him. And even though you've been beaten up and some of you feel like burnt stones that have been lost in the, in the undergrowth, 
I want you to know today and I've come to tell you it's different. I believe the Spirit of God laid this on my heart days and days and days ago. As soon as Pastor Tom mentioned, he wanted me to share with you on this Sunday. This came into my mind. It's not just for a message, folks. It's just a reminder of what you already know. This is the time. This is the time for heroic actions. This is the time to shake ourselves from the lethargy that, that this lockdown nonsense has caused. It's time to understand that the kingdom of God is marching on. And I believe it's almost as if we've assemb assembled around our Nehemiah who said, let's rise up and build. We've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God wouldn't invite us into this moment only to be curtailed in some way by, by an invisible enemy called a virus. God's not surprised by this. It couldn't have happened without his acknowledgement and his, his permission. Somehow, all of this will make sense in eternity. There's been a, a breaking of routine. There's been a breaking of, of, of will. There's been a breaking of culture. There's been a breaking of paradigms that we've gotten used to. And into this moment, into this seam in history, God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters are prophesying. Old men are dreaming dreams. Young men are having visions. None of that has stopped. In fact, it's going to be on the increase until the Lord Jesus comes back in the clouds. But for right now, you and I have to respond. We're like the people standing in the midst of their rubble and in the midst of their distress and, and someone standing before us, a, a man that's come from the king. And, and he, he's saying to us, listen, let's rise up and build. It's the last thing we want to do right now. Our energies are sapped. Our resources seem to be gone. But little do we know that in the piles of rubble and in the mess around us, God sees a rising army. God sees a city. God sees, sees worship restored. God sees walls closed in. God sees a sacred assembly. God sees the people that he's called by his name. God, see, God sees the future. And he sees you as a means to that end. I know it's hard to be optimistic. I know. And you know, optimism isn't the point. Vision is the point. Because when you see what God sees, you're actually having vision. When you say what God says, this, this is the power of Jesus' life. He said, I, I can only do what I see my Father doing. And he says, I only say what I hear my Father saying. My declarations, my ideas that I propose don't mean a thing. But when mine agree with his, when I put my hand to what he's putting his hand to, I'm assured of success. I want to pray for you in these last few seconds today. I love you with all my heart. I can't wait to see you. And as soon as that quarantine lifts, I plan to be there. Not that that means anything, but I want to be there with you. I want to get in the middle of this. So, Father, I pray today for my friends. Many of them I, I admire greatly. But I pray today, Father, that you would bless them. I pray that you'd keep them. I may, pray that you'd keep, may, make your face literally shine upon them. Let your presence just invade their life. And Lord, I pray today that you'd lift up the hands that hang down, strengthen the feeble knees, put light back in the eyes, let the, their tongues proclaim the glories of God in the midst of the darkness around them. I pray that your anointing, O oh God,
would break every single yoke in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.